Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. This begins a series of messages that we'll be doing over the next few weeks on the book of Mark. Of the gospel records, Mark is unique in that he focuses on the work of Jesus as a servant bringing the kingdom of God. In contrast to the other gospel records, Matthew, Luke, and John, those really spend more time on Jesus's teachings. They focus on Jesus's teachings, where Mark spends most of his time writing about Jesus's actions. But with his writing, Mark is not highlighting Jesus's actions without pairing it with servanthood. And this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time is looking at the servanthood of Jesus. While our tendency would be to pair action with authority and rulership, Jesus shows another way, the way of servanthood. A message that is often lost in the noise of a demanding world lobbying for those whose voice is the loudest, here comes Jesus showing us another way. And if we miss it, we miss the way of the kingdom. And we risk having a pseudo gospel that fails to reach us more deeply and the world around us. So here are a few background uh, notes that I wanna give to you as we prepare to dive into the gospel according to Mark. Now, Mark is the shortest and simplest of the four Gospels. It tells the story of Christ the servant on the move, constantly preaching, healing, teaching, and finally dying for sinful mankind. Mark's writing style mirrors that of his purpose. The narrative is fast-paced, it's vigorous, feels a little more raw than the other Gospels. It is a Gospel of action. Mark portrays Jesus as a man of deeds, a servant quickly attending to his father's business and emphasizing Christ's works rather than his words. In the Gentile world that Jesus came to, they valued power but despised servitude. So Mark uses what they value, displays of power, to teach them about what they despised and avoided, being a servant. So 70 parables are recorded in the Gospels. If you look at the other Gospels and you look at the different accounts of Jesus's life, there are 70 parables recorded, but only 18 are contained in the Gospel of Mark. And many of those are summarized in just a single sentence. In contrast, of the 35 recorded miracles of Jesus, Mark includes more than half in his writings, showing that his emphasis is clearly on Jesus's work rather than his words. Of those 19 miracles recorded in this book, eight prove Christ's power over disease, five show his power over nature, and four demonstrate his authority over demons, two show his conquest over death itself. Now in this, and this is critical, I want you to hear this, highlighted with the recording of all this action and miracles taking place, this is what we need to grasp, is that the byproduct of Christ's power is always service. Let me say that again so it doesn't miss any of us. The byproduct of Christ's power is always service. Jesus is seen ushering in the kingdom of God in great power while living out being the suffering servant. That was his purpose in coming. 
The key verse, if we were to kind of encapsulate the book of Mark in a verse, it comes in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus is speaking of himself. He says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's this pattern of selfless service that becomes the model for those who would become followers of Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus' life. He was demonstrating this to us so that we would be able to live the same type of life. While men are tempted to use the power of God to usher in a human kingdom that lords over others, Jesus shows us how to bring the kingdom of God through selfless service. And so as we prepare ourselves to dive into this magnificent work of God, the gospel according to Mark, the good news, would you join with me in prayer? And we'll just ask the Holy Spirit to lead this time together. We do welcome you, Holy Spirit. Uh, the word says that you'll guide us into all truth. And so that is our desire. That's our passion is to know truth, not just as we see it ourselves, but as you see it and that you would reveal it to us through your work. And so Holy Spirit, come open our hearts to receive the change that needs to happen. Open our ears to hear what you want to speak to us. Empower us than to live out the things that are revealed to us out of this message. Lord, we thank you for living a life that was so transparent and open so that it could be recorded for us then to follow, not just to read and be amazed at, but to actually follow and do likewise. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to read from right from the beginning, Mark chapter one, verses one, through 13, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and the voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. You, with you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, while the book of Mark emphasizes the action and the work of God, there's still a preparation that takes place in becoming a servant. It's important to see that in Jesus's life and ministry that he was uh, demonstrated his life with power, but his service was not random. There was real preparation that went into his life. 
Specifically, there's three main areas of preparation that I want to highlight that led to Jesus's life of service. And the first one is this, God prepared him for the time and the season. God prepared the time and the season. So the preparation first came in the mind of God. Mark begins nearly 700 years before Christ's birth with a proclamation of the prophet Isaiah. And that's found in Isaiah 40, verses three through five. So history is not this random kaleidoscope of disconnected events. It is a process directed by God and he sees the end from the beginning. And so this idea that God is preparing this time and season, he is preparing what needs to happen and needs to unfold. And so he sees it before it even takes place. And that's why Mark introduces us to Jesus by introducing us through Isaiah. God had already sent his prophet to be able to present what was going to happen. So it's not this random idea just floating around and Jesus didn't happen just to show up when he did. God has a process that he is directing and he's unfolding at the right time. History really is his story. It's an unfolding of his plan for humankind, his redemptive history for all of humankind. The second part of God preparing the time and the season is that God prepared things spiritually at just the right time. So there had been 400 years of spiritual silence between the Old and the New Testaments. There was no new scripture. There was no unfolding or revelation during this time. There was this silent period between the Old and the New Testament periods. 400 years of the people being beaten down and oppressed by foreign nations. You can imagine that at this point, Israel was hungry for a Messiah to deliver them. He would, they were hungry for this one who would come and set them free from the oppressed nation that was coming over them, lording over them. They wanted this Messiah to come and restore their national sovereignty and fulfill the promises of old. So spiritually, God sent Jesus at the right time. He had prepared them for this hunger that they would have. Politically, God was preparing the ground for Jesus the servant to come. Rome was the current dominant world power. They were oppressing and suppressing the Jews and Rome's pagan customs were being overbearing, uh, placed upon the people of Israel. Their practices, their philosophies, they were completely contradictory to the Jewish mind. And they were defiling in the views, the, the mind of the Jews, they were defiling the land and the people. So the Jews were desperate for a political savior. They were desperate to be, uh, to, to be on top, to be rulers once again of their own land and of their own destiny. So politically, God had prepared them for Jesus's coming. Culturally, they were being prepared. Roman and Jewish values were often completely opposed. Rome was a cesspool of iniquity from the Jewish mindset. The people of Israel abhorred Rome's godless practices. And again, they longed for justice. And just as God was preparing the time and season for the coming Messiah, so he was preparing the hearts of the people to receive that Messiah. I want to emphasize this point that this is true of our day and age as well. God has prepared the events of our age for the exact right time for us, his servants to accomplish his purpose and plan. Just as he did it for Jesus, just as when Jesus came upon the earth at the right moment 
for him to become a servant and be able to bring, usher in, bring forth the kingdom of God. Likewise, the time that we're in is right. It's been prepared for you and I to be servants of Christ and to bring forth the kingdom of God. Esther chapter 4 verse 14 says it this way in a common verse, a well-known verse. It says, this is Mordecai speaking about Esther. He says, for if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What a powerful reminder that time is not random. The culture in which we are living out our lives is not random. God has us here for a purpose. And he has placed us in this moment, like he did Jesus, to be servants at just the right moment. The second area of preparation for Jesus' service is this. God had prepared the soil. He had prepared those for whom the servant, Jesus, was being sent to. God prepared the soil by sending John the Baptist as the forerunner. Mark 1, verses 4 through 8, reads this. It says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When we look at the one that God used in order to prepare the soil, prepare the way for Jesus to come, you know, John the Baptist looks nothing like the person I would have chosen. And I would venture to say he looks nothing like the person you would have chosen to herald in or bring in uh, the kingdom of God. If we were selecting the person who was going to prepare the way for Jesus, we likely would have chosen one of high birth, maybe a university scholar, uh, a man of wide reputation, elegance, and impressiveness. Not so with God. That's not really how he does it. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28 says that God often picks the foolish things to confound the wise. To usher in the kingdom of God, God uses a lowly figure, John the Baptist, to announce the arrival of Jesus. God also prepared the soil by giving John a message that called people to cleansing and repentance. Of all the preachers, of all the messages, God prepares the way for the suffering servant, Jesus, to come by using John's message of cleansing and repentance. Water baptism is a symbol of this cleansing, repentance, sanctification. The Greek word baptizo means to immerse or to drown. It was used to describe the process used by the Greeks to dye cloth. They would immerse the cloth in dye and leave it there until every fiber had been permeated by the color and it had been completely absorbed into the material. What a great picture of what John was doing, immersing people, inviting them to be thoroughly cleansed, to, to be people who would repent and come near to God. So repentance is this picture of change to the very fiber of every being. This repentance going the other way. Part of repentance is confession. We confess, 
when we say the same things about ourselves and God as what God is saying. It's agreeing with God about sin, about ourselves and what needs to happen next. Real repentance means that a person not only is sorry for the consequences of his or her sin, but that he or she has come to hate sin as God hates it. It's not just a changing of behavior, it's a changing of mind, it's a changing of passions, it's a changing of attitudes about the very things that we've been convicted of that go against what God would have for us. That's really at the heart of repentance. And that was John's message, preparing the way for what God wanted to do in bringing Jesus. So here's the picture of how God prepares the soil of our lives and the lives of others to whom he calls us to bring the gospel message to. Immersion in God's presence reveals that a change needs to come into our lives. And at that point, we're ready to serve when we see our heart and actions the same way that God does. That's preparing the way for the Lord to come. It's preparing the way to begin to serve others. So preparation is part of what God did by bringing John the Baptist as one who would prepare those hearts before Jesus came. The third and final area of preparation as Jesus is the servant is this. God prepared the servant himself and Jesus submitted to that preparation. Let's look at how Jesus prepared himself to serve. Jesus was prepared by practicing obedience Verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus had no sin of his own for which he had to repent. In baptism, he identified with the people who were burdened by sin. The servant identifies in humility those with whom he is going to serve. Jesus connects with the brokenness of humanity. Jesus doesn't connect with the sin for he himself is sinless. Jesus was baptized according to Matthew 3, 13 through 15. Jesus was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. It was a point of obedience. The servant must be obedient and know how to follow orders. Jesus preparing himself allows himself, not only allows himself, he commits himself to follow through with being baptized by John. As a result of his obedience, the father affirms his approval of Jesus with a voice from heaven saying in verse 11, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Similarly, he speaks his confirming voice to our inner man that he is pleased with us when we walk in obedience with him. Anxiousness, worry, they begin to dissipate. And so in place of that, we are filled with peace and affirmation that fills our minds and our hearts when we walk in obedience to God. Worry begins to shed away and fall away from us as we walk in obedience as servants to God and live out the calling that he has for us. Jesus was also prepared by being led and empowered under the Spirit's anointing. The Holy Spirit came upon him as he began his ministry. And only then, only then when the Holy Spirit came upon him did Jesus begin his ministry as he was led out into the desert. Instead of using his own authority as God, he embraced the human weakness that he had so he could be empowered 
by the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2 talks about this, that he did not consider himself equal to God. He did not accept upon him his divine powers, but instead he emptied himself in the way of following humanity's example and not leaning on his own power, but trusting in the Holy Spirit to be able to lead him. And so he was prepared by being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this same anointing is available to you and to me. Jesus didn't lean on something that's not available to anybody else. No, he, he trusted, he emptied himself and leaned upon the power of the Holy Spirit, just as you and I, if we're going to follow Jesus in the way of servanthood, the power of God is going to be upon us only when the Holy Spirit is the one who is empowering us and we're not leaning on our own strength and our own thoughts. Another thing that happened is that Jesus was prepared by being tested and tried and yet found without sin. Jesus prepared himself by going through a time of testing and trial and hardship and yet not falling into sin. Testing is a necessary part of preparation. It shows what's in our heart. It shows what's beneath the surface, exposes our weaknesses, allowing us to recognize where we need to be strengthened, where fortification needs to come from God. And so this testing, Jesus submitted himself to it, and it revealed his perfect walk with the Father. As he was going to be the suffering servant, the one who had served those whom he came to save. So he had to go through a time of testing, and it's true of us as well. In the midst of this suffering and this temptation, angels attended to him. This is also how he was prepared for the serving that he was going to do, the ministry he would carry out. Jesus was not left to fight the battle alone, and neither are we. There are divine reinforcements available to refresh us, to strengthen us, if we receive them instead of attending to our own needs by just satisfying ourselves through the flesh. Angelic hosts are available and they're ready to attend to us just as they were for Jesus. Again, Jesus didn't draw upon anything that was unique to him, his own life. He leaned upon those things that are available to you and I as well. And the angelic host is a part of that. Those who would come and attend to us, just as they did attend to Jesus in our times of trial and difficulty. The question is, will we lean into God's provision or will we lean into our own flesh? After all of this, after this preparation, the preparation that, that the culture was ready, the time, the season was ready, the preparation of the hearts of those whom Jesus would minister to by John the Baptist preparing the way. The preparation of Jesus himself by submitting in obedience and allowing himself to go through the difficulties and submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit receiving that so that he could live it out. It was after all of this, the servant was now ready. The next time that we would see Jesus as he comes out of the desert. He is picking up the scroll of Isaiah and he's announcing that he's ready to serve. He is ready to bring the kingdom of God. Now this whole study on the book of Mark is really focused on the servanthood of Jesus, but not just his servanthood, but our own as well. Much like it was when Jesus came to the Jews 
It was a Roman-occupied world. We find ourselves in a world of dominance. Servanthood is viewed as weakness. Power and authority is the demand of all. And it's in this type of world that Jesus comes with real power, with real authority, not derived from structures and voices and influence of this world. No, Jesus comes with the authority of heaven and with the kingdom of God and the voice of one who doesn't speak of this earth but speaks of the things of God and brings it to earth. It's in this type of world that Jesus comes. Can it be said of you that you are in this world not to be served but to serve and to lay down your life for as many as Christ will bring to you? As I mentioned before, that was the key verse out of this book that's being highlighted. Christ himself, he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Can you, can I say the same thing? Do we recognize that we have been called not to be served by this world, not to allow our voice to go out and our demands to be met, but that we would come as servants prepared for this moment, prepared to, in our own hearts and the hearts of those who we will come to serve, prepared by obedience and submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can, like Christ, usher in God's kingdom into the places that we go with true authority, with true power that we'll begin to see as we go deeper into this gospel. Let me ask a couple questions of you and just hearken back to those three areas. God has prepared the time and the season for you to give yourself. Are you willing to see this season and this time in which you live not as an interruption or disruption to the life that you want, but as the time in which God has called you and he's prepared just for you to have influence in? Do you see how God is preparing the soil of your own heart towards repentance to agree with him about what life looks like and how your life should unfold and, and convict you and to convict me of wrongdoing so that we could confess our sins openly and change our mind about it and agree with God of what he has to say about life and about the way that we should live it. Do you see that God is calling you to learn to follow his voice so that you can be a servant empowered by the same spirit as Jesus was empowered? To be this obedient servant who does the work of the Father and not his own will. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? This is what we're being called to. This is the kingdom to which God is calling us to. Not the kingdoms of this world, but to embrace the kingdom of God and to live it out in a culture that doesn't recognize servanthood, only recognizes authority and power. In contrast to that, God is calling us. God is calling us to his son, Jesus, the servant, to know him and to live for him and to be like him in this world. May you and may I, may we be committed to joining him in that life. Let me pray for us. Lord, this is difficult. 
This is contrary to the world around us, just as it was contrary to the world in which you came to minister. And so it requires everything within us to surrender to you and receive from you the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. Empower us to live this kind of life. Empower us to be servants for you. Empower us to live in authority and empower demonstrating the work of God to usher in the kingdom of God. We thank you that you've done it in the days of old and you're doing it today. We want to join you in it, Lord. And so we turn our eyes to Jesus, the servant, and we receive from you the, the calling to we ourselves be servants for you. Our world is hurting. Our world needs a different voice and a different people to come and bring the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to be those people. Help us to do it. By the grace and authority of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you live for Christ as a servant empowered by his spirit. Send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.